Hello, I'm Zev Neuwirth, and welcome to Creating a New Healthcare, a podcast series for people who are interested in fresh perspectives, new ideas, and bold solutions on how to advance the creation of a customer-oriented, value-based, and humanistic system of health. The views I expressed on this podcast are solely my own and do not represent the views of any other person or organization. Folks, the topic today is one that is so important on multiple levels and from multiple perspectives. It's important from a public health perspective, from a healthcare system perspective, from a payer and employer perspective, and most importantly, from a family and personal perspective. The topic is the mental health and emotional health of teens and young adults. And I have to say this on, on a personal level, I'm going to be emotionally pulled into this. As we'll hear from our expert guest today, this is an issue that affects a large percentage of American families. And so it gets very personal and very real. And I will say I've had experience with this, so I'm going to try to hold back my emotions here. We are so fortunate to have an expert guest on the podcast today who will discuss the the depth and breadth of this problem and also importantly share a solution that she and her colleagues have developed and are deploying across the country in conjunction with healthcare systems and hospital systems, which I, I think is really, really critically important and kudos to this organization. Our guest is Carter Barnhart. She is the founder and CEO of an organization called Charlie Health. In a moment, I'm going to ask Carter to introduce herself and, and share her story with us, uh, which I think is so relevant to this discussion. Before we do that, I'd like to take a moment for an announcement. I'd like to officially announce, and I think this is the first time I'm doing this, the upcoming publication of my second book. It's called Beyond the Walls. It's about the mega trends, the humanistic movements, and the market disruptions that are really transforming American healthcare today. It's like an odyssey into the courageous entrepreneurs, the trailblazing leaders, and the disruptive organizations that are going beyond the walls of our legacy healthcare system to create a more personalized, effective, and humane system of care. The book is quite different from many others in the genre in that it's not about what's wrong in American healthcare. It's actually about what's right in American healthcare and what we should be doing more of. I, I think you'll find it an inspiring and instructive read. I'll be posting more descriptions about the book in the coming weeks, but you can read about it actually right now. It's available on pre-order on amazon.com. The official publication date is sometime in late September. I am so excited to share the book, and I think it'll especially resonate with those of you who are listeners to this podcast. I also want to add that all of the proceeds from the book are being donated to Feeding America, a nonprofit dedicated to eliminating hunger nationwide. And again, I'll, I'll be sharing more of the book over the coming weeks. Speaking of beyond the walls, trailblazing leaders and humanistic movements in healthcare, I, I do want to introduce and invite our, our guest today, Carter, to join us. Carter, how are you doing today? I'm excellent. Thank you so much, Zeb, for asking me to be on. I've been really looking forward to this conversation. Me as well. And again, such an important topic. I think for, for many of our listeners, this will resonate not just on a professional level, but on a personal level. Carter, imagine we're in an elevator and we've got seven, eight floors to go up and, and I turn to you and ask you, tell me a little bit about your company, a thumbnail sketch in, in the few moments we have. And we'll, we'll come back to it, obviously, in much more detail in a few minutes. But just to get us started, could you just give us an over 
view of what Charlie Health is. Absolutely. So Charlie Health is a mental health care provider for young people in crisis. We're committed to providing unparalleled access to evidence-based treatment. Through a virtual first approach, we deliver our version of intensive mental health treatment that we've specifically designed for the high acuity patient population. Sounds like you may have actually said that once or twice before. That was awesome. Thank you. <laughs> I'm used to the elevator pitch. You got to be able to say what you do quickly, right? That I wish I, I had that down like you did. And so important in terms of you know what you're talking about, the need out there. All of us are aware of the problem, but I, I'm sure you have a, a much better handle on some of the statistics and the depth and the size of this problem. But I am interested to hear about and share your origin story. Why is this important to you and what led to the creation of Charlie Health? Thank you for giving me a space to talk about that. I do think that the the why is so relevant, why we get into this space. Like you mentioned in your intro, everyone has a personal connection. And it's so important to talk about that personal connection before you go into just what the solution is. So for me, really my career thus far in the birth of Charlie Health is the culmination of a series of unique circumstances and deeply personal experiences that led me to launching Charlie Health. On the personal side, um, I unfortunately suffered a severe trauma when I was 14 years old. I was sexually assaulted at a concert and then afterwards struggled with anxiety, depression, PTSD, all the things that come along with a young traumatic episode. And, and I was grateful enough that my parents were fierce advocates for me and spent two and a half years trying to find the right treatment. And when they did, I was able to heal. I had the gift of receiving residential treatment when I was 17 years old. And my time in treatment left me feeling so inspired that I wanted to dedicate my career to helping people who were similarly struggling. I believed that I needed to do that through building residential treatment centers. And so I spent a decade building residential mental health treatment facilities. Throughout that time, though, I was constantly faced with the systemic problems of access and equity. I would have families begging to get into treatment. And I used to joke with my friends that I felt less like a C-suite executive at a mental health treatment program and more like a college admissions counselor who was deciding who could get into treatment and when. And we all have heard and have read about our ERs and how our ERs have filled up with young people struggling with life-threatening mental health challenges. And as someone who had relationships with these ERs, I was often the first phone call. And it became clear to me that there really was not a solution that existed that was designed for high acuity patients. And all that existed in our system was either 24 seven care, which for the most part was not accessible to families or just once a week therapy. And so I created Charlie Health to really be that continuum of care informed by both my personal experience as well as my professional experience. That's amazing that you took what was really a traumatic event and you turned it around not only to help yourself, but to help others. So just want to note that really thank you for that and, and for the strength and the generosity. We all have a story, right? All, yeah. all of us have the ability to use our own personal life experience for good or, or choose to not focus on it. <laughs> and for yeah. me, it's such a gift to be able to help people who are in similar positions that I was in when I was a teen. And I, I feel really lucky every single day to be able to do the work that we do at Charlie Health. Now, in terms of, of the prevalence of this, do you have some numbers on hand in terms of how big a problem this is in the US and in terms of the number of teens and young adults and 
you know, again, some of these stats you, you occasionally run across in terms of not just crisis and mental health issues, emotional health, but also suicides and overdose. And then, of course, there's the, as you mentioned, the terrible overcrowding in EDs. It's just, uh, I mean, the stories I've heard from EDs across the country in terms of children, literally teens and young adults living in ED for days, yeah. uh, waiting to be seen. And it's heartbreaking. There's no other word I can think of to describe it. How big a problem is this in the country? Well, I, first of all, I could not agree more that it is heartbreaking. Um, and we're lucky now that it's getting attention. So the U.S. Surgeon General and the CDC have defined mental health as the defining public health crisis of our time. The data speaks for itself. Young people are telling us consistently that they are in crisis. The suicide rate for young Americans ages 10 to 19 jumped by 40% from 2001 to 2019 while emergency room visits for self-harm rose by 88%. In 2019, 13% of adolescents reported having a major depressive episode, a 60% increase from 2007. And for people ages 10 to 24, suicide rates leaped nearly 60%. Suicides have been increasing since 2007, passing homicide as the second leading cause of death for those ages 10 to 24 years old. The problem is huge, and it's something that we need to address and we need to be talking about. Yeah. Wow. Do you, and this is a little bit of an aside, but why is, I mean, these these numbers, this increases are, they're mind boggling. They're almost hard to wrap your head around. Do you have a sense? I mean, I've, I've you know heard lots of folks conjecture about the causes and reasons why we're seeing this tremendous increase. Do you have any thoughts about that and in, in, in terms of, Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't think you can point to one thing and say, this is what caused the youth mental health crisis. You see people trying to do that. The crisis is often attributed to the rise of social media, but solid data on the issue is limited. The findings are nuanced and often contradictory. And some adolescents appear to be more vulnerable than others to the effects of screen time. For us, what we really focus on is how can we ensure that we get people immediate access to help so that we can prevent a greater crisis. I believe that so many of these crisis episodes happen because of a lack of access as the number one issue. I just think that's so spot on that immediate access to help. And we're gonna jump in in a second into how Charlie Health is doing that and how it works. There's sort of a bias against this. Uh, you know, People feel ashamed of it, even that first children coming out and talking about it and sharing with their parents. How big an issue is that? Because in, in my experience, I've seen that over and over again, that the problem is not even recognized for quite some time. I think that that certainly is a large problem. What we see with our patient population, though, because we are dealing with the more acute patients, is that when they do come forward and share how they're feeling, there's that lack of access. We know that a growing number of children and adolescents are grappling with mental health distress. And when they're going to their parents or they're going to the school or the guidance counselor, they don't know what to do. Our medical systems have not kept up. There are insufficient treatment options that are leading many families to seek help in emergency rooms, which as we discussed in the beginning are overflowing and are ill-equipped to deal with mental health related issues. I don't know if you saw, but there was a recent New York Times investigation that found that hundreds of young people sleep in emergency rooms every single night as they wait for placement in proper treatment programs. This 
only enhances the issue. This only makes the issue worse. 80% of people in the U.S. live in an area without access to appropriate mental health care providers. That to me is heartbreaking Hmm. because imagine that you're a teenager who finally gets the courage to go to their parent to say, I need help. And then that parent has nowhere to turn. They can turn to once a week therapy, but generally there's a wait list, especially if you have Medicaid, it's going to be a long wait list. And then oftentimes what we hear from our patients is they wait six to eight weeks to get in with that individual therapist who they believe is going to be their lifeline. They're holding on, they're holding on. They go to the initial appointment And that individual therapist says, you're too acute for me. I can't treat you. And then that young person yet again has no options. They don't know what to do. And people are just so ill-equipped to handle this crisis. We have to provide solutions for those patients in crisis so that when you raise your hand, when you say, hey, I need help, people know who to call. I can't even... I know those numbers are are accurate, the six to eight weeks to yeah. see a therapist. I, again, heartbreaking is just doesn't even begin to describe it. Could you, you know, imagine a, a young adult in acute crisis in a family, perhaps they're in school, it's impacting everything about their lives and their family's lives and to have to wait two months to be seen only to be told this is too acute for me to, to handle and to get referred and wait again, again, it's just such a huge and, and emotionally fraught issue right now. And you think about it, these people already are hopeless, right? Yeah. yeah. Already hopeless. And then they're being mm-hmm. told yet again, I don't have a solution for you. Right. Just heartbreaking. As you were talking, I'm just, this notion of the ED, right, is is sort of, that's the first thing you think, that's the first place you might go. And yet to your point, it seems like that's almost like a legacy anachronistic. It's almost like it was never built for this sort of thing. It's not equipped for it. And so, I mean, is that sense of it, like we need a new model and a new approach? Is Am I tracking with? Yes, you are tracking. And, you know, what has existed for decades is a highly effective form of treatment that is a true continuum of care, which is something called intensive outpatient programming and partial hospitalizations, followed by residential and then inpatient. But prior to Charlie Health, those only existed in brick and mortar models. And what we know is that 95% of the population did not have access to a brick and mortar IOP or partial hospitalization, thus leaving them with a total inaccessibility to care. What we saw during the beginning of COVID was all of these Uber for therapy models popping up, right? All of these, I feel like you open your Instagram or TikTok, You're seeing all of these incredible companies like BetterHelp, Lyra, that are helping you to get access to clinicians, but they are not dealing with the acuity. They are not dealing with these high-risk youth. And really to solve this problem for high-risk youth, you need high-risk solutions. Mm -hmm. And that is what has never been available prior to Charlie Health for young people um, is a virtual way to access a whole continuum of care. And I'm happy to tell you more about what virtual intensive outpatient program looks like, if that's helpful. Absolutely. So in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, here I am. Let's maybe paint a real picture vignette here. Here I am, a a parent with a child, a young adult that's just shared that there's an acute problem, depression, anxiety. Yeah, normally my reflex would be ED. What would the course be now that we have Charlie Health and what, what would Charlie Health do? What would that look like? So I want to zoom out for a second. I want you to imagine, because sometimes it's easier to understand 
IOP in the context of physical health. And then I'll get back to your example of what you would do if you had a child in crisis. If you were in a traumatic car accident, you'd be taken to the ER. You would then be taken in for probably some sort of surgery. Afterwards, you would go into an inpatient facility. Then you would transition to physical therapy four days per week, three days per week, two days per week, one day per week until you have a full recovery. In mental health treatment, there's only the 24-7 surgery followed by just once a week outpatient care. There's not that physical therapy that gets you back that can either help to prevent the surgery or can help to ensure that you never have surgery again. That's where we sit in terms of the continuum of care. So if you imagine this girl who goes to her parents who says, I'm in crisis, I am feeling suicidal, I'm having thoughts of self-harm, you're right that historically, the directive to a parent, if they called 911, would be to bring them to the local ER. Instead, what we're training communities to do is to say, call Charlie Health and let's get that girl in for an assessment. We would assess her over Zoom to determine, is she a current risk to herself or others? And is there a plan in place? Or could we treat her in an outpatient setting? We have a number of different tests that we do on the front end to determine appropriateness. But what we've learned is that we can treat suicidal ideation. We can treat self-harm in an outpatient setting by giving that young person skills, by giving them evidence-based care, and by giving them an intensive intervention. That intervention looks like nine hours of group therapy per week, plus family therapy, plus individual therapy, plus medication management. So it's intensive, right? That's a total of 11, 12 hours of therapy per week that you're accessing from home. But it gives the scaffolding for that young person to be able to stay at home, to be able to continue going to school so they don't have to turn to self-harming when they're feeling those feelings as they come up. Plus, we also have 24-7 on-call care coaching. So that if you need us at an odd hour, because typically crisis doesn't happen during the nine to five schedule, it happens at 2 a.m., we have people on call who are able to support you, who are able to coach you through that crisis moment. So it's you assess the person, and then you offer them individual therapy, the group therapy, the family therapy, all virtually. You have people who can prescribe, professionals who can prescribe medications. That's correct. But medication management, I would say, is really so much of what we do is actually taking patients off of medication because they've been over-medicated. Hmm. What we've trained ERs to do is when they see a patient who is in crisis, if they believe that they could benefit from Charlie Health, and that's where our hospital partnerships come into play, mm -hmm. is we'll do an assessment while they're still in the ER and get them into treatment with us. And then we'll curate a program for them. Really the secret sauce of Charlie Health is our matching process where we assign patients to their group, those nine hours of group therapy per week, based on their diagnosis, their shared experiences, their struggles, as well as their demographics, such as age, gender, identification, sexual orientation, race. You can't get this level of personalization with place-based treatment. And so ERs, when they're seeing these kids come in in crisis, they're able to say, I recognize that you think that you need to hospitalize your child or that you need to be hospitalized, but really what you need is to be supported. Let me introduce you to a program that can support you from the comfort of your home where you can get a personalized treatment approach and where you can really feel like you are getting that hug through the phone so that you can really recover. Mm -hmm. 
there's two avenues to get to Charlie Health. One is direct to consumer. You could literally go online and either contact Charlie Health directly by phone and also through the emergency room. And and that's both done both virtually. That is correct. Yeah. I'm going to ask you a little bit more about the relationship you have with with hospitals and how many it and, and all that. But what other types of conditions do you get this sort of a, a, acuity calls about? So depression, major depressive disorder is the most common diagnosis for patients entering into Charlie Health. Typically, patients also have a trauma history. Um, and typically upon admission, they're struggling with suicidal ideation, self-harm, or deep depression where they're unable to go to school, unable to participate in life events. Uh, that is typically how they're coming in. The ED, the hospital, how is it that like a hospital works with you? Do they just have you as a resource number? Is there a partnership? How, how does that work? And and how many hospitals are you connected to? And, and you know, there are folks who are listening to this that are part of systems. How would they connect their system to you? And is it just the ED or is it clinics, et cetera? Great question. So our partnerships can take many different forms. <laughs> as I mentioned at the beginning, about half of our clients have been hospitalized for a mental health crisis in the 30 days leading up to enrollment. So we're dealing with this acute population who oftentimes is coming to us out of the ER, right? Out of these hospitals. So it's so important that we work closely with hospitals and EDs in the states that we're live in. We're live in 23 different states to know about the work that we do and ensure that patients and families that are affected by mental health crises know that a solution like ours exists so that they can get appropriate support. We partner with health systems, universities, outpatient providers, employers all across the country to answer your question of who we partner with. But to give you a more concrete example, we have a program with a major children's hospital in California where we're doing behavioral health assessments while the patient is in the emergency department or in the inpatient unit. If the patient is appropriate for virtual IOP, they can begin their treatment with us the day that they discharge, meaning that there is no gap between crisis and intervention. So what we've done there is we've trained the nurses. Once we solidified the partnership, we trained the nurses to know about Charlie Health and they access us through an iPad in the ER, in the inpatient unit for us to do that assessment to ensure the seamless transition. Our partnerships can take many different forms, but the goal is always the same, which is to increase access, enhance care coordination, and then ultimately improve outcomes and share those outcomes. What we want is to be able to share with our hospital partners, this is how your patients do after they've been stabilized, then come to Charlie Health, then graduate. Or this is how your patients do after an ER visit that you then refer to Charlie Health. So that they can really be bought into the experience. What we know is that for high acuity kids, time is also of the essence. So some of our initiatives are focused on speed to care and different agreements with hospitals around how quickly we will ensure that we start someone in our treatment program. Yeah, I think that would be a major question I would have, because again, one of the issues is you've got some teenage person, either underage or young adult, and they're sitting in the ED, do I feel comfortable sending them out and knowing that they have a secure and immediate follow-up so that even that the unloading of the ED would be I think that would be a critical point. No, is that, is that a, absolutely. yeah, it's absolutely a critical point. And that's built into many of our partnerships is an agreement around the time, the mm -hmm. time to start care. 
That's fascinating and, and wow, so, so encouraging. I know, you know, we started the conversation with really sort of a heavy heart around this and the stats and, and the, the rise in this. And, you know, to hear what you've built, my next question or thought about it is, well, given the enormity of the problem and given the lack of supply of the professionals and, and treatment options, these IOPs, this intensive outpatient, especially the virtual one, one question it is, and, and you spoke about equity before, which I think is such a critical point, what is the insurance side of this? If I have Medicaid, if I'm uninsured, how does that factor into your approach? So we're in network with all major insurance providers, and then we accept Medicaid everywhere that there is a code for intensive outpatient programming. And that has been an uphill battle. Hmm. <laughs> um, when we started Charlie Health, we launched in Montana in 2020. And we came into the state guns blazing. Uh, it was the beginning of COVID coincidentally, and said that we wanted to launch the first intensive outpatient in the state of Montana. And at the time, they did not have a billing code for intensive outpatient. And so it was a battle to show them why intensive outpatient needed to exist. And then more importantly, why virtual intensive outpatient needed to exist. That's been something that we've now gotten quite good at over time. Uh, we love the uphill battle. And so really my goal is to ensure that every single person, when they call Charlie Health, we don't even have to ask what type of insurance they have because we know that we are in network with that insurance provider. That is the case today in Montana. We can admit someone into our program and we have 100% confidence that they will be covered throughout the entirety of their stay with us because we are in network with every insurance provider in the state of Montana, both Medicaid as well as commercial. My hope is to have that in every single state across the country, because it is so important that we provide this equal access to care. Medicaid patients are often, and I don't know if you've seen any of our research, but Medicaid patients are often thought about last in our healthcare system. What gets the most attention and the most investment are commercial patients. As a result, there's been studies that come out about how Medicaid patients do in treatment. And these studies typically point to that Medicaid patients, because they have higher ACE scores, take longer to get better. I never believed that, but I didn't have any data to support my hypothesis that that wasn't true. I always just figured that it was because they weren't getting as good of treatment. What we've proven at Charlie Health is that if you give Medicaid patients and commercial treatments, identical treatment, they get well at the exact same rate. Hmm. So really it's a matter of our Medicaid patients having access to lower quality treatment prior to Charlie Health. Our clinicians at Charlie Health do not know if the client is commercially insured or insured by Medicaid. We treat our patients equally because it is the right thing to do. Do we get paid differently? Absolutely. Do we get paid well for our Medicaid? No. We treat Medicaid patients because it is the right thing to do. And we know that over time, we will continue to show tremendous outcomes. And my hope is that we will be able to really make systemic changes um, so that Medicaid patients ultimately uh, can be reimbursed at similar levels to commercial patients. So it sounds like you, in addition to your core work that you're doing and spreading the access to hospitals and healthcare systems across the country, you're running a policy and payment campaign as well. <laughs> That's what it sounds like to me. <laughs> I think 
it is only with the work that we do, it is only right that we publish our studies so that people mm -hmm. have access to it. Yeah. We invested in a bit large research and outcomes division at Charlie Health. Mm. People told us to not do that. They're like, you're mm. a startup. What are you doing building out this large research team? And what we would say in response and what we continue to say is we have an obligation to do this because we are the first provider that is treating patients equally. And we need to show everyone what that looks like and how we do it. So we've had several peer-reviewed publications come out and we have several more in our pipeline that continue to demonstrate the efficacy of our offering so that we can continue to work on telehealth policy reform in order to keep our life-saving care accessible. We work with local governments and other community organizations in several states to enact Medicaid policy change. And really that's, you know, when you think about the mission of Charlie Health, our mission was to ensure equitable access to high quality care. I didn't think that it was going to require such a big lift on the policy side, but in our mission to ensure equitable access, it's just, it's a responsibility on our part. We have to publish these papers so that people know more about the work that we're doing so that hopefully it creates change in the system. I'm going to ask you about the research findings in a second, but curious about that. But it seems to me, and again, don't want to be too naive about this question, but the payers, this would this would be a no-brainer. Having Charlie Health, having that intervention, although again, intensive, no question about it, that upfront investment to me seems like it would save whether you're an employer paying or uh, an insurance company paying, it would make sense to invest in this. Is that argument, do you find that to be a straightforward argument or is there complexity to it? It's It's pretty straightforward. You know, my message across the board is we cannot afford to continue to treat high acuity patients the way we have been. Hmm. Literally, our healthcare infrastructure cannot handle it, and it's ineffective and inefficient. These preventable or avoidable ED visits place a strain on ED capacity and have high cost, an estimated $8.3 billion per year. We must make changes, and we are here to help support those changes. I think why I've always enjoyed my conversations with you and liked your work is that you focus on the solutions. You don't just talk about the problems in our healthcare system. You focus on what's good uh, and what we need to double down on. And that's really what we try to do is we try to highlight, yes, there is this huge problem. Yes, it's costing you so much money, but here's a really easy solution that you can stand up that requires so little effort on your part <laughs> and and we will do all of the heavy lifting. Yeah, it's it's funny you say that because in my mind, the question I'm asking myself is how do we grow Charlie Health? I mean, to keep up with the problem, get ahead of the problem. Do you find that for Charlie Health, it is in terms of even getting the professionals, again, an underlying issue in healthcare today is there just aren't enough psychologists and social workers and all the specialists. I mean, I, I looked on your website, by the way, I would encourage others to go to your website. I just, in fact, had it pulled up because it was just, I, I was reviewing it again. It, it's charliehealth.com. Is that it? Correct. Yeah. charliehealth.com. Again, I would absolutely urge listeners go to the website. It's it's so easy to read and it really gives you a wonderful description of, of the conditions and the treatments and the protocols. But all those treatment options you list, it's multimodal. There's so many, even music therapy, all these different therapies that your folks incorporate. Are you having a challenge hiring up and keeping up with the demand? What, what is that like? I'm curious. And, and also, 
I'm thinking from the public good and the public health good and the need out there. Are there other companies like yours? I mean, it, it, it can't be just one organization that's going to solve this problem, not just nationally, but internationally, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we've said since the beginning that our biggest competitor is the ER, and that still stands true today. That is where people are going. In addition, there are in-person intensive outpatient clinics, which deliver incredible care. I would never say to attend you know, Charlie Health over an in-person clinic. Both are incredibly valuable. They provide different services, but there are great in-person intensive outpatient clinics. We are the largest provider of virtual first intensive outpatient only care for adolescents and young adults. And why that's important is because it allows us to have better patient matching, which we know is the key to success. Patient satisfaction in treatment leads to long-term success. That is proven, that has been researched. And the easiest way to drive satisfaction is giving teens and young adults a cohort of peers who look and sound like them, who they can relate to, because then they show up to treatment. And all we need is for them to show up. And then we can provide them with evidence-based care that we know works. Now, recruiting providers is certainly something that we think about and talk about a lot. We are also the only program that allows providers to work with this high acuity population in a way that feels safe to them from the comfort of their home. If you were just an individual therapist, you would not feel safe taking on the level of acuity that a Charlie Health patient has. But supported by our system, you can feel safe. You have treatment team, you have supervision, you have the emotional support in addition to the clinical support to hear these horrific, horrific stories. I think about what our clinicians hear on a daily basis and the work that they do, there are no words for just how incredible our clinical workforce is. And we have to continue to grow that. We have Charlie University where we train clinicians, where we help them become experts in different modalities, but we also attract clinicians who have been practicing DBT, MBT, CBT, music therapy, art therapy, all of these different types of therapeutic services that are evidence-based to come into our system. Because again, we allow them for the first time to work with the type of patients that they want to work with from the comfort of their home. Really the thing that we think about the most though, is that we do not want to take clinicians from hospitals who are working in person because we need them to stay in those hospitals. We don't wanna be a bad partner to our hospital partners. And so how can we also help to develop clinicians? How can we you know, develop more training programs so that we can take people and aren't stealing talent from our very valuable community partners? That's something that I think about a lot is how can we really expand access by growing providers and giving providers the confidence to work with high acuity patients? Because many are scared. Many are scared to be able to keep space for someone who's profoundly struggling. It's much harder than holding space for, some, for someone who's you know dealing with a breakup or the worried well. I attend our groups regularly. And after I attend our groups every single night, I lay in bed and I think about what I have just heard. And I can't believe that we have people who every single day are hearing these stories and are able to provide solutions in real time. It is just remarkable. 
So I think the more that we can do to train our clinicians, to support our clinicians, the better we will be long-term. We've yet to run into capacity challenges, but knock on wood, um, that we don't reach a point where we get there. Quick question. Is Charlie University open to professionals who are in the community, not necessarily going to be part of Charlie Health, or is it, is it you use it to train and onboard your folks? Great question. We have two different types of Charlie University. We have a community offering mm -hmm. as well as just an internal offering. Mm -hmm. So we offer CEU events on a biweekly basis to all that are free and our members to anyone in the community or available to anyone in the community. That's amazing. That's such an important point to get out there. So I'm, I'm really glad I asked that and the answer you provided. We just did an incredible training, by the way, on, uh, we did an athlete, a, a training specifically for clinicians huh. working with high-performing athletes. Wow. There's been a lot of research that's come out around the Olympics and around professional mm -hmm. athletes in terms of their mental health and the unique support that they require. So we just did an incredible day-long CEU event for athletes. So anyone who wants to learn more, please feel free uh, to visit the Charlie Health website and sign up and happy to share those resources with any clinicians. We offer them, like I said, for free uh, because we believe it's our duty to educate the community in addition to our clinicians. That's great. Are those just, to, this is now in the weeds a little bit, but are, are those recorded so you can play them back and, and have sort of a library or? Some of them are, some of them are not. So I just want to say, Charlie Health is, and you and I have spoken before, but you know, I'm just amazed to learn you've got a clinical arm, which is huge and tremendous and, and doing the work you were just talking about. You've got a research arm, you've got a policy and payment arm, and you've got Charlie University. Boy, oh boy, just uh, amazing, the foresight and, and the breadth and, and what you're building. I'd like to add the other big arm, which is okay. the compliance arm. The compliance, uh, yep. We are joint commission accredited and we are really, TJC has been uh, an incredible partner to us in helping us to become joint commission accredited and really create what the gold standard looks like for high acuity virtual intensive outpatient programming. The compliance piece is so important. Hmm. We have a 50 person compliance team. Uh, it is That is probably the biggest arm of Charlie Health other than the clinical arm. Wow. And that's for us making sure that every day we provide high quality care and are really doing just making sure that every clinical offering is compliant and is to the highest quality standard is incredibly important to me. And the QA processes that our compliance team has built in are incredible. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. It's so important. I want to go back to something you mentioned before, because this might be a question in folks' mind, the whole virtual world, the whole virtual care, you know, in the past, and I think it's, I think people are beginning to understand more and more and, and shift their mindset, but the notion that in-person was superior to virtual, I think that clearly one of the advantages you pointed out, and it's so important, is that by having a virtual intensive outpatient program, you have a, a much greater selection of therapists, which as you pointed out, is such a critical success factor in, in terms of maintaining that relationship, that therapeutic relationship, and also having the ability to mix and match different people to put in the group, as opposed to if it was, if it was brick and mortar, much more limited in terms of the number of therapists, the type of therapists, as well as the other folks in the group. So that to me seems to be a major advantage of virtual over over the sort of brick and mortar or in person IOP. You know, the question I would have, and I want I want to give you a moment to talk about uh, some of the key research findings. 
I'm just wondering, has there ever been a study doing sort of head to head between virtual or inpatient, or is it not that that relevant or important an issue? There are some studies that talk about virtual intensive outpatient versus in-person intensive outpatient studies from a clinic who is delivering care in person and then virtually. For us, what we've choose to focus on is not really get involved in that debate of in-person versus virtual. Uh, we know that 95% of the population does not have access to intensive outpatient programming, so they would only have access through virtual intensive outpatient programming. And so, what, and for us, from the beginning, what we said was access is not good enough. We don't just want to provide them with access. We need to provide them with evidence-based, high-quality treatment that's accessible. And that's why the research piece has been so important to us. We recently published a study in partnership with the University of Pennsylvania, which found that Charlie Health's IOP improves access to care and yields industry-leading outcomes for teen and young adults in crisis. What we said in that was it yields industry-leading outcomes for teens and young adults in crisis. We say what the in-person is, but we don't have a apples-to-apples comparison. Instead, we talk about that we see a 71% reduction in suicidal ideation, a 60% decrease in symptoms associated with depression, and a 58% decrease in self-harm. There's no significant difference based on insurance type either, which I like to continue to emphasize throughout all of our studies so that we can show just how high quality our treatment is. And again, remove ourselves from the discussion or the debate of in-person versus virtual and focus instead on how do we provide access to all. So spot on. I'm almost speechless. Speaking of speech, <laughs> if you were, and you might have already had this, but if you had an audience with at the federal level, HHS, Health and Human Services, CMS, what recommendation or request would you have? And what is so important for politicians and policy people, not just to know, but to do to support this life-saving work? Yeah, I think pre-COVID policies and rules are no longer applicable with the rapid innovation we've seen with telehealth. We can't backtrack now. It's time to take action to adopt COVID-19 public health emergency coverage and reimbursement policy changes on a permanent basis. We cannot revert back to pre-COVID policies and rules. It would be a huge step backwards for everyone. And we've seen throughout COVID that treatment can be effective virtually. Have you testified in front of Congress yet or presented? I have not. I've been really heads down focused on Charlie Health and I've just been, yeah. we've been publishing our studies but you'll notice there's not much about us online. Um, we don't have a big public persona right now because I've been so focused on ensuring that we really build the most high quality treatment program and let the data speak for itself. And then over time, I would love to do more of that advocacy work and speak at the federal level. Yeah, I think you need to get in front of Congress and you know, you're advocating for the youth of America who are suffering at a crisis epidemic level. And those numbers you shared at the beginning are just, they're beyond heartbreaking. And as you pointed out, we have a solution, state-of-the-art, evidence-based medicine, highest quality, accessible to all. And what you need is the payment to make it doable and equitable and scalable. And so if there's anyone who's listening, 
who has some access to this, I, I just think you you need to get that message and that advocacy and and others like yourself who are doing this work so important. Is there a message that you would have for hospital C-suite folks who might be listening to this? What would you say to them? And I'm I'm thinking I've already connected you to our healthcare system, and I I you know we'll follow up with you offline and talk to our folks internally about it, but. For folks who who are listening to this or are in healthcare systems and thinking, you know, what what is the situation in our healthcare system? Any message to them? Yes, and I think similar to what I said before, we're spending an estimated eight point three billion dollars per year on preventable, avoidable ED visits. This places a strain on their system. Please call me so that we can discuss how we can better support your team, how we can better support your frontline workers to ensure that they have access to high quality treatment for their patients. We just, we simply cannot afford to continue to treat high acuity patients the way that we have been. And we have a solution for the first time. So there's hope. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant solution. And one that sounds like it's getting better and better. Any final message or thoughts, anything we missed Carter before we close out? And again, getting close to the top of the hour and I, I know I've got to let you go, but uh, just first of all, just can't thank you enough. I knew I was going to get choked up talking to you and hearing about the work you're doing, and and I am. And so just can't tell you how much I appreciate and applaud what you and your colleagues at Charlie Health are doing. Again, and any anything we've missed? No, I just, again, thank you. I really appreciate you highlighting solutions. I think what we've seen throughout this past year is, you know, the New York Times, many major publications has po- highlighted the crisis and have mm-hmm. talked about the solution. And I hope that more and more people want to have conversations about what's working because the reality is we do have a solution for the youth mental health crisis. It's just our responsibility to get it into the hands of everyone who needs it. So I look forward to continuing to work with you to tell our story. And I'm just so grateful that you've given us this time and space to do so. And thank you. Well, Carter, to you and your colleagues at Charlie Health, I'm I'm at your service, and I sincerely mean that. So please leverage me as much as you can, and we're going to definitely get this podcast out in, in the next month. And as I mentioned to you, I'm I'm hoping to write about you and your colleagues potentially in the next book. So, friends and colleagues, I'm going to bring this amazing dialogue uh, to a close. I, I can't thank our guests today enough, and our colleagues at Charlie Health, Carter Barnhart again charliehealth.com. You should go check out the website. Strongly recommend it. As I do every episode, I'd like to conclude by thanking all of you out there who are doing the hard work each and every day of taking care of patients or supporting those of you who are taking care of patients. A, A special call out, particularly this episode, for those of you who are in the mental health field. I and we truly appreciate you for what you do and recognize how critically important your work is to individuals, to families, to communities, and to our society as a whole. My friends, this is Zeb Newworth on creating a new healthcare. Until next time, be safe and be well.